in this tradition, some of you have noticed, we like to mess with the words. <laughs> but I've also learned over time that we're not the only ones. People are, have been doing this down through the ages, messing with the old words and trying to make words that work for a particular time and place. Something I learned just this week was that those new words we just sang set to that traditional Thanksgiving tune were written by two UU ministers, a couple who were serving together back in 1963. And if you remember November of 1963, you will remember that this was the week in that year that President Kennedy was killed. And so these two ministers, Dorothy and Bob Singhas, they wrote these words for the Sunday following the president's death to help their people hold both their grief and their gratitude in those days. Both sorrow and gladness we find now in our living. We sing a hymn of praise to the life that we bear. My first year here, as Thanksgiving was coming around, several different people called and then came to see me and sit in my office and talk. And they came to talk about their families and they shared their stories of sadness and disappointment and betrayal. And afterwards I wondered if this wasn't an accident, if that maybe the upcoming holiday had brought up those memories. Because you know, this season that we're on the cusp of entering, this time of holy days and holidays, it can be hard, right? Because it heightens our expectations for how things ought to be maybe reminds us of how things once were. It can accentuate our disappointment when our lives are less than what we had hoped for. We become painfully aware of the difference between how things are and how we wish they could be. And the invitation in this is to live in this tension between disappointment and hope. Even when we are sad and even when we are in grief to sing our hymns of praise and thanksgiving. And how do you do this? How do you have a heart and a soul big enough to do this, to hold both deep sorrow and great joy? The only way I know to do this is by being grounded, by being rooted, by being in touch with something larger than your own self and your own daily cares and concerns, as important as those can be. It's why we gather here to sing of community and to do the daily work of making it real. Because as we just sang, our freedom comes paradoxically when we bind ourselves to others. And isn't this kind of belonging 
why you are here. In this month when we've been reflecting on home, I keep hearing songs in my head about home. Maybe some of you have been too. I haven't spent enough time listening to them yet, but a couple of weeks ago, Doug Rosine sent me some clips from some of his favorite songs, favorite artists that he was recommending who were singing about home. I'm also finding myself remembering the scene from a movie. Do you remember Out of Africa? It's the story of this Danish woman who moved to Kenya with her new husband, and she later wrote a beautiful book about her life there. Her husband is a hunter and an adventurer. That's why they moved to Africa, and he's seldom at home. And one day his wife played in the movie by Meryl Streep, she gets tired of this and she travels out into the bush. She travels a long, long way to find him. And there's this scene where it's raining there. It doesn't rain there that often and she's, the rain is dripping off her hat and she walks up to him and she simply asks, when are you coming home? And this is the question that has been on my mind lately. When are you coming home? Some of you know that I had this blissful trip this past week to the Bahamas where I got to spend day after day standing on the bow of a very little boat looking for bonefish in that clear water. And a couple of days ago, I laughed outside. I laughed out loud to myself because I imagine somebody that I lift with saying, when are you coming home? Because I said to the guys I was fishing with, if I could do this for about a month straight, I would get to be adequately skilled at it. This question often gets asked in a practical way, like, what time can I expect you to arrive? Are you going to be late again for dinner? And if you're not here, at what hour should I start to worry about you? Some of you are familiar with asking and holding these questions, right? This week, how many of us are thinking, when are you coming? When are you arriving for Thanksgiving? Or are you coming at all? I know from experience that it can be easy to hear that question, when are you coming home? Not as a kind invitation, but as an expectation or a command. Because, you know, I want to keep my options open. I'll be there when I can. My wife says that I have a casual relationship with time. And she's right. As the old song says, don't fence me in. <laughs> and when I was younger, I could get irritated by that simple question, as if it held expectations that I didn't want to live up to or was afraid I might fail at. 
And no matter how old you are, how mature you are, isn't there somewhere within us a little bit of leftover adolescence, an independent streak, a teenager with an attitude saying, don't tell me what to do, you're not the boss of me. We want to go our own way, at least a part of us does. But underneath that adolescent streak, there is a deeper desire for connection and belonging, for home. And this is what I want us to reflect on today. Because we know plenty about wandering and searching. We celebrate the search and the journey And what I want to ask you is this, when are you coming home? I'm not thinking about a place when I ask you this, but rather a state of mind, a way of being. One in which wherever you go, there you are. As Buddhist teacher Jack Kornfield puts it, Wherever you go, you are home. At home in yourself and on this earth. At home in this one life that you have been given. To be human is to know a certain restlessness. Are we the only creatures on this earth who aren't naturally at home in our own skin? But where else Are you going to feel at home? And this restlessness and this longing that each of us feel, it's nothing new. It's been with us from the start. They were talking about it way back thousands of years ago when the Hebrew people were composing these psalms. And we heard it in Christine Robinson's take on Psalm 84. The sparrow has a place in the rafters. The swallow raises her young in the nest she has made. They live and move easily in their places. They flit and soar around your world altar. They are at home. It is not so easy for me. I long for that ease of being and pray for the grace to live in the world as at your altar. Happy are they who live in the pilgrim way. They walk through desolate landscapes and find your springs. They toil through mountains and discover your peaks. They set themselves to the tasks of love and service and know deep satisfaction. One day lived in this grace is better than a thousand spent at our own devices. When we walk our appointed path in peace, we find our home and our way. I know that some of you, because of your experiences or because of how you are wired and how your brain works and how you see things, you take issue with the idea and with the images we humans have created for God. 
And then there are others of you who can't imagine life without that presence. And here we are, companions of one another, making our way by the lights of the heavens and by the light that we each have to share with one another. Whatever your theology is, wherever you fall on that vast spectrum, I love that we are in this together, that we are fellow travelers along the way. There's a poem by Ada Limon in which she describes two people out walking in an open field and having a conversation. And here's a piece of it I wanna share with you. She writes, I think of that walk in the valley where Jay said, you don't believe in God? And I said, no, I believe in this connection we all have to nature, to each other, to the universe. And she said, yeah, God. Beneath words and names, underneath our ideas and interpretations, there is this luminous and mysterious reality that we get to travel in for a time in these earthly bodies. Yeah, God. That's a name I like to use, a name I happen to like, but you can call it whatever you like. I just hope you won't let a name keep you from being open to that fathomless mystery. This month, when I've been hearing these songs about home going, coming in and out of my head, one of them keeps sticking in there. It's an old country song, and it's about a parent missing and longing for her children and waiting and waiting and hoping that they will come back home. And the chorus goes like this. I'm lonesome for my precious children. They live so far away. Oh, can't they hear my calling, calling, and come back home someday? In this culture that celebrates and prizes independence and autonomy so much, in which we can, if we're not careful, equate family with obligation that is stifling and oppressive even, can we hear a parent's longing for us to come home not as a guilt trip, but as a love letter. Because you don't want to miss these opportunities for connection and belonging. 
It is my hope and my faith, and it is my experience that this presence which animates the universe, this presence we sense in the connections we make and share, that it wants to be in relationship with each of us. This animating force, she has a pressing question that she keeps wanting to ask of us, and it is this, when are you coming home? When are you coming home to your true self? to the fact that you are beloved on this earth? When are you going to trust in that? When are you coming home to your true nature, to who you can't help but be? When are you going to stop trying to meet all those other expectations and start listening to that deeper, quieter voice that is your own? This question comes with no strings attached. It is not offered as criticism or obligation, but as an invitation and a blessing, offered in the spirit of a loving parent who is longing for her child, who only wants to see that child happy and safe at home in the world. Coming home is about being present to what is. It may require letting go of how you thought things were going to be so you can be open to and thankful for the way things are. Seeing that where you are is holy, that right under your feet That is holy ground. And wherever you are, right there, that is home. John O'Donohue wrote a blessing about this, a blessing for longing, a few lines of which I offer to you now as a prayer for your coming home, an invitation to hear that voice that is ever calling you home. May your heart never be haunted by ghost structures of old damage. May you come to accept your longing as divine urgency. May you know the urgency with which God longs for you. May you know this now and always. Welcome home, my friends. Welcome home. Amen.